0: Amen. So just a couple of verses to begin Matthew chapter 2 beginning at verse 10 speaking of what we refer to as the wise men. When they saw the star they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy and when they had come into the house they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him and when they had opened their treasures they presented gifts to him gold frankincense and myrrh a few things uh, to examine here you know we get caught up in the tradition of christmas and the church has generated things that are just church tradition they're not biblical truths you know some of them are blatantly wrong others you know they're sort of innocuous it's not really a huge problem uh, but there are some differences in this passage between the truth of God's word and what is commonly believed when we come uh, to this christmas holiday uh, when the wise men and I'll just call them that for this morning because they were actually ambassadors and kingmakers and of you know huge political significance they weren't just sage in their understanding and conduct they had positions of power they had come to Herod and the, uh, the king over the, the Roman appointed king over Israel and the governor and he you know they had inquired of where is the one that was born the king of the Jews and he uh, you know inquires and everybody says Bethlehem and they go to look for the child but they're following a star And when we come to this place where it says when they saw the star, it was directly over the house. So, you know, there was that idea of as they began to travel, it was in the distance and they continued to to travel until they came to a place where they're standing in front of the house and, you know, everybody looks up and says that is directly over this, where we are standing right in front of where the star is positioned directly overhead that's some time later. It's not at the manger. That's the difference between biblical truth and the traditions of Christianity in the church. That's why it says in verse 11, they saw the young child. This isn't an infant or a newborn. This is a child that's a couple of years old. This is some time later. And we have the secondary evidence of that, that Herod in learning when the star appeared and the time that has passed sends his soldiers to Jerusalem to kill all of the children that are two years old and younger. He understands when the star appeared. So he wants to wipe out all the children that could potentially be the Messiah, the King of Israel. They worship him and they give treasures. Now these are great gifts Given to an impoverished family. And I mean incredibly impoverished family. Because when they come to uh, dedicate Jesus, they bring two turtle doves. Those doves were brought if you were so impoverished that you could not bring the prescribed gift. And they were purchased for around a penny depending on which market, one or two cents you can purchase these birds in order to perform the sacrifice. Now they're being given these gifts that hold incredible value. Now, if you're a mom or even if you're a dad in this setting and someone gives you these gifts, they're going to feel awkward, okay? I don't know if you've ever had certain gifts to you where you open it up and you're thinking like, thanks. You know, I'm not really, I appreciate this, but I'm not sure when I'll use a socket set. You know, I don't know what. You have certain gifts that don't seem to apply. To begin with, gold. They're going to be able to use it, but this is the sort of gift that is way beyond them, way beyond their capability. You know, I remember years ago, I was, working in a tree service. So I spent about three and a half years doing that, just on the end of a rope or a chainsaw all day. And, uh, you know, covered in oil and gas and sawdust and grime. And, you know, it wasn't a delicate period of time in my life. And uh, I received this ornate watch from one of my relatives one year. It was really nice. And I'm thinking, I am going to smash that in about Half a second, and uh I ended up smashing it, but not the way that I thought. I went to work, I took it off, you know because it's a nice watch, it's a gift. set it on the dash, and uh forgot- you know went to work, put on the rugged watch that you can destroy and nobody cares about. got out of work and was driving out of the work driveway, and as I pulled up onto Route fifteen, it went across the dash and out the window, you know into oncoming traffic. A little too elaborate for Will Cass, a little too rich for my environment, my blood. Gold, it's a gift for a king. Jesus Christ is a king. Now, as worshipers of that king, we understand that. That's an appropriate gift for these people. They're probably thinking, you know, thanks, that's wonderful, but in the meantime, they're thinking we need to sell this as quickly as possible and pay off our bills. You know, people that are impoverished are looking at this gift and there's not a lot, I mean, what is the kid going to do with, you know, I just talking to a couple of people in the grocery store yesterday and a woman next to me congratulating this other woman about her newborn child and how they must be so excited about Christmas and she's in the middle of saying yeah well bills and you know newborn and whatever (laughs) finally just blurts out you know thank goodness he's too young to really even understand what Christmas is about you know they're gonna do some special things you could tell but you know there's a lot of the richness of life that what's a kid gonna do with gold It applies to his kingship, and we should have a reverence for that in that he's our king. This is the kingdom we're part of. We are blessed in that frankincense. Not, again, something that you give a newborn child. It doesn't have any application. This is something used almost strictly by the priests. Again, we understand it in hindsight. The priest is going to have great use for the frankincense. Child's not going to have any great use for this. You can almost guarantee this is going to market also. You know, trade in the gold for coin. Trade in the frankincense for whatever value you can get in order to care for the family. They're symbolic gifts. These people that are bringing these gifts understand his position. They understand his power. They've been in communication with God in such a way that they know what should be brought to this child. It's it's far and above his current status and where he's at. He's literally, I don't mean to sound sacrilegious, but he's literally having to have his diaper changed right now. You know, priestly frankincense doesn't have a lot of application for this newborn child. There's a point. Stay with me. I know I'm getting abstract, but stay. Myrrh. This is the one that almost assuredly, it has a value and they're going to be able to use that value, but this is the sort of thing that, like, especially probably mothers would be offended with. Because it's used strictly in burial. Okay, I mean, you know, you have a newborn child. I show up at the hospital. You know, I've got the kid a gold watch. You know what I'm saying? A giant Bible. You know, something to do with the faith, the frankincense. And I've also purchased him a burial plot. Right? Just trying to think ahead for you and the family. You're going to have a hard time saying thanks. You know what I'm saying? Thanks, Thanks for nothing. you know? Do I have to worry about something? I mean, are you, are you implying something? They are. His death at 33 years is not a long ways off. His burial is already wrapped up in his birth. Jesus Christ came to die. This is, this is his purpose in life, is to come and be the sacrifice. Moms, if you just had that child come into your hands, and you're knowing in your heart and mind, this child is destined to die, that is going to be heartbreaking from the beginning, isn't it? Jesus Christ entered this world with his exit plan intact certain gifts seem inappropriate until you understand their usage. Without the death of Jesus Christ, there's no hope for us. That's probably the most significant gift pertaining to us in this. If you're sitting here right now thinking about someone you lost, the pain over your loss, that gift right there is the most significant one in that setting because it gives us the hope of their resurrection. It gives us the hope of seeing them again. It lifts us up out of that sorrow. So when we look at gifts, we need to understand the Lord's intention, not our own. We have to understand what it is that the Lord wants, not ourselves, right? This is the season of gifts. This is a season of giving. Within the church, there are gifts that have been given. And I think especially during this season, we need to really concentrate on what, number one, what are the gifts? And number two, what is the Lord's intention with those gifts? Yeah. anybody, you don't have to show of hands, you know, anybody, you know, in the room thinking, remembering a gift you got when you were younger and you did not appreciate its value and now you're looking back and thinking, thank goodness I have that. Or, boy, I wish I still had that. Someone in your life that understood the value that gave you something that has much more value than what you originally thought. Now, with that, I want us to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to go right to verse 7 to begin with. Where it says, To each one of us, that's speaking of the church, Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Okay. Jesus understood you and your circumstances so well that he gave you very specific gifts. We we often, like children, look at the gifts we've received, and we're looking over and comparing it to the gifts other people have received. And we're thinking, mine is fairly insignificant, and oh, if I only had their gift. There's something very careful to understand, okay? When I was very young, I had a fifth-grade teacher that took me aside and he explained to me that the biggest thing, very carefully explained to me on my fifth grade level, the biggest thing that was lacking in my life at that time was perseverance. I just wouldn't stick to anything. And over that fifth grade year, he just worked with me all year about, you've got to stick with it. Stick with the homework, stick with the study, stick with the task, stick you gotta stick. I mean, we we developed a joke between the two of it, you know, stick toitiveness. Just that became the phrase, you know, what's going where's where's your stick toitiveness? And it became my theme, and I can tell you it's become a life's theme for me. That you put me on the task, I'm gonna do my best best to sink my teeth into it and just stay to stick to what I've been given, stick to what I've been assigned, try to see the task through to the end. Now, unfortunately, that's caused it to be that the Lord has put me into circumstances that really require stick to You know, if, if there were easier approaches, you know, those might not be fitting for me. It's put me in places where I've got to stay on task, regardless of how challenging there's a, I think you probably recognize similar things in your life, right? Maybe you're a highly organized person. And what has the Lord surrounded you with? Things that require your organization skills. You know, maybe you're extremely nurturing and loving. What has the Lord surrounded you with? People and circumstances that need that. See, Christ's grace gives to each person the gift that's necessary for them and their circumstances. But like children, as I said, we're looking at other things going, I wish I had that. We have it, right? You hear it in the voice of the disciples. They're all arguing, right, about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Basically what they're saying is I'm more skilled than you are. No, I don't think so. Has anybody here walked on water? No, I have. You know, that's Peter's whole. No, was anybody present during the, uh, you know, transfiguration? No, Peter, James, and John. But then amongst Peter, James, and John, who walked on water? Nobody, me, right? This is the argument that's going on. Who's better? Nobody's better. You just have a different circumstance that Christ has constructed you for. Back in Ephesians chapter 4, drop down to verse 11. Speaking of Jesus, it says, and he himself gave some to be apostles. Now, let's just be clear, because there's a movement within the church that says that this is an office of authority that people need to respect, and they slap the title on people Apostle. You know, that's most significant, most important person. Apostle has a couple. Different understandings. First, chosen by God. Second, to be one who has been sent out by God. Okay? So, to be sent out by God. The apostle is going to have that call on their life. Chosen by God to be sent out by God. To go and preach the gospel. To represent Jesus. There are a lot of apostles in this room chosen by Jesus Christ, sent into environments nobody else is in. Are you the only Christian in your workplace? Have you thought to yourself sometimes, oh, I'd love to work over there at that company where all those Christians work. That'd be cool, I guess. But everybody around you that needs to hear the gospel wouldn't be hearing it from your mouth anymore. You've been chosen by God and sent into that environment. That's what an apostle is. Someone who has been sent there to represent him. Chosen and sent. Prophets. Some are prophets. Now, then the you know, five-fold ministry churches all say, right, and the prophets are the next and imp- most important. Let's look at another verse. I don't have the reference for the overhead, but First Corinthians chapter fourteen, you might want to just write it down because we're coming right back to Ephesians. I'll read to you First Corinthians fourteen verse three, that says, "But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Edification, exhortation, comfort. So the prophet." speaks on behalf of God. That's what a prophet does. And that's the definition of a prophet. One who speaks on behalf of God. And what do they speak? Exhortation, edification, and comfort. All of those things are upward, right? We think of prophets sometimes as being downward. Negative, right? They speak judgment and wrath and negativity. That's not what a prophet does. According to God's word. Again, abandon the traditions that the church has taught. Edification means to build up, to add to, to make stronger. That's what to edify means. To exhort means to stir up, right? You know, the prophet might say to you, I see you've gotten certain gifts. Have you ever considered using them in this way, in that environment? Why don't you go do that now? To stir a person up towards the use of the Lord. And then comfort, to cheer up. To take a person who's struggling and to lift them up with the message of Christ, his love, his word. That's what a prophet does. So when we're reading these gifts that Christ has given to the church, and we hear apostle chosen and sent, and then prophet to perform these powerful, uplifting ministries is what he's given to the church. Evangelists, it says. Those that would go out and preach, inviting people into the kingdom. Right? Again, Greg Laurie is an awesome example. Billy Graham, you know, to go and preach the gospel. There are those that don't have that gift that they look at that and they go, oh, there's a bunch of stuff lacking within Billy Graham's ministry. There's a bunch of things Greg Laurie doesn't do for the body of Christ. I can tell you this. I've sat in the room with 1,200 pastors as Greg Laurie preached to us all and when he got done, I thought, man, i got to get right with Jesus get saved right now. His skill is to bring people to repentance and being right with the Lord. That's his, that's his gift. We're all pastors. We're already saved. And what has he done in our heart? Brought us to the place where we want to surrender to Christ all over again. That's an evangelist. Some people have that skill. You ever been around them? Right? You know, other people are exhorting you and you know, edifying you and cheering you up. Others are, you know, inviting you into the kingdom. Evangelists. And some, now the fivefold ministry separates this and says, pastors, teachers. That goes against the rules of Greek grammar. The pastor, teacher is one in the same. And I'm not going to argue the theology about that right now. There's no need. It's just that a pastor is a teacher. That's what he does. That's his role. That's his office. These are the things that God has given. And then look at verse 12. For the equipping of the saints. So now we even get the definition of what is the gift for. These are the gifts Christ has given to the church. Now listen. If you're sitting there right now thinking all of those gifts just shot straight over my head. You hit somebody else with that list, pal. None of those things are me at all. Now you're getting the point of my sermon. There's a little baby lying in the manger that just received gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That all just shoots straight over his head. No, 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 no. No, those things hit you where you're sitting this morning. The gifts Christ has given us in the church touch every one of us. You're in this somewhere. You're in this somewhere. Christ has given you gifts, and then He's explaining now what they're for. What are they for? The equipping of the saints. It isn't for all the weird things that some people apply. I can summarize a lot of it by the weirdness that people do is they act like, Oh, the gifts are so they they don't say it with their mouth. They act like the gifts are so everyone can recognize I'm gifted and pay attention to me. That's not what the gift is ever for. The gift is for equipping the saints, So to whatever degree we are gifted, it's to benefit one another. It's selfless in its approach. It's it's outward, not inward. Doesn't that sound like Christ? That in receiving the gift, what you've been given is something you can give away. That sounds like Christ. That, That what you would be given would make you a servant of others would make you a person who cared for the well-being. And then for what? So the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. This is what it's going to make you accomplish in your life. The gift's going to be given to you so that you will be equipped to go out and do ministry in other people's lives. What for? What is that work going to be? Is it going to be so you can, you know, Mow their lawn, maybe, but more importantly, for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the building up of the body of Christ. The gifts are given, whatever they are, so that you'll be capable of giving to others. You'll be equipped to give to others so that they will what? Be equipped. For what? The work of the ministry. Do you see how cyclical this is? The gift just generates The gift which generates the gift. Christ, working in us, accomplishes the work of Christ. This is what he designed. Verse 13, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect. And that isn't the perfect like we think of today. It's the complete man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning. That's an old word we don't use much. It means skill in achieving one's end by deceit. So we're not called to that cunning craftiness with deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, that we may grow in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by whatever joint supplies, according to the effective working by which, notice this, every part does its share, causes growth to the body, what for? edifying of itself in love, building up, building up, building up, building up. This is what the gift of Christ does in us. Listen, you're going to be around people inside the body of Christ that they seem very gifted, but over time what you're going to realize is their gifting is about themselves. They want people to pay attention to them. Everything they're doing attracts attention to them. And it does not build and equip the body up. When you get to the place where you're like, Oh, this person is just so gifted, but what is going on here? Stop and ask yourself, is it... This gifting, building up the body for the work of the Lord? Or is it just attracting your attention? I've been in many churches where I'll go both directions. I walk through the door and there's just a spirit there that just yanks you right in. You're like, oh, this is family. This is wonderful. And you walk away filled up and cheered up and built up. You're like, yeah, this is great. This is the stuff I was looking for. Then I've walked into other churches and there was sort of like an awkwardness, like I don't really know what's going on. And you leave, and it was super cool, but you're like, I I did not get much out of that. I wasn't challenged, I don't feel built up, I just There are all kinds of motivations for people to be doing. It needs to be that Christ, Christ is the one who gives gifts, right? People have natural gifts, right, speaking and communicating. We want to make sure that what we're experiencing are the gifts that Christ has given to the church. That they are, in fact, building us up towards service and love. 1 Peter chapter 4. Just a couple of verses. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10 Each one has received a gift. There it is, you guys. You can't be sitting here thinking, right, well, I got skipped over. No, you didn't. You have a gift. Each one has a gift, (coughs) has received a gift. (coughs) Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak. As the oracles of God, meaning, basically, there's a few different ways, but you should be speaking the Word of God. What you're sharing with someone, might not be quoting chapter and verse, but the principle of what's coming out of your mouth should be derived from God. You're going to speak, you're going to share, and let your conversations be the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability with which God supplies. Your ministry, physically working for the church, may far exceed mine. Whatever God has given you in capability, that's what you should do. We shouldn't compare with one another. Oh, well, I'm not even going to bother working or you know helping because those people over there outshine me. And so if you can do a simple thing, do this simple thing. Minister. As you've been supplied, that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, I'm going to steal some of John's reward, John Arsenault's reward today. I'm going to steal it from him. I haven't even asked permission. I, I hope he's not offended. Okay. Wednesday. I was riding home from New Hampshire with my wife. I've been very sick. I've had to deal with a number of things that have been very trying. I went to New Hampshire to deal with a crisis that my mother-in-law was currently engaged in. And I was driving back with Lori and I've I've just reached that place of physical exhaustion, lack of sleep and illness and all of the emotional strain and I'm I'm drained. And I'm really down. Really down. Just My heart is just sunk into my shoes. And I get a phone call from John. And what does John want to say? Just a number of things that cheer me up. Like you can't even believe. I mean, uh, forgive me for ripping John off. My wife and I are in tears. By the time I get off the phone with John, the prophet, John Arsenault, obeyed the Lord, speaking to his heart and mind, and picked up the phone, and called me, and spoke on behalf of the Lord, the things which built me up, stirred me up, and cheered me up. You see, your enemy will get in your head. As that pops into your head, I should call so-and-so. And And the voice says, don't do that. What, you think you're a prophet or something? You never talk to that person. You're going to feel so awkward. Right? All kinds of negative things. And we don't ever dial. We don't ever go see them. We don't ever stop by to the degree to which the Lord has gifted you, brothers and sisters, please, please, I'm begging you, minister to the body of Christ. I'm not just talking about this fellowship. You know believers. Reach out to them. Work the effectual work of Christ in people's lives. Speak the oracles of God into their lives. Right? If you leave it all on my shoulders going, well, we've got a pastor. Who knows? I may be dealing with three days of really difficult things where nothing gets done because I'm struggling myself. Right? You have days you struggle. You need somebody to call you. Let us minister to one another to whatever degree, to whatever degree Christ has given to us Is this not a great message? And let me be clear, this is Christ's message. I literally sat down and said, Lord, what do you want me to say? Because I'm thinking of a particular passage, and he just takes me off this direction. And I just spend the the last three days collecting this from the Lord. This is our gift from the Lord at this time, at this year, in this season. Just share the gift Christ has given you. Be the minister in one another's lives. You know, to whatever degree each one has received a gift, let him use it to the ability with God that has supplied him that God may be glorified. John's not glorified in this. Christ is. John's not that cool. (laughs) He's cool. He's not that cool. Christ is that cool. Right? I've got a cool funnel at my house. You guys got funnels? pour fluid down through. Paul Reynolds built this funnel literally in a machine shop. Cut the metal, welded all the way around, fashioned, molded the end, hammered it together. He built this huge funnel. When I found it, after he passed away, I'm like, what a piece of junk. Until I needed to put oil in my oil tank. And I thought that funnel kind of looked like it might fit right in. And I opened it, and it's actually designed in such a way that you set it in there, and it locks into the top. Anybody that's filled oil in their oil, uh, you take that five-gallon jug, you can just clunk it right up on top of that and just pour like that. That funnel sits right there. We each need to be a funnel, some old, ugly funnel Christ has fashioned over time that he can just flow through. John's just an ugly funnel. <laughs> that Christ flowed through this week to fill me up. We don't have to be cool. You don't, don't look over at the other person and say, they're so polished. They're so good. I'm just so low. Measly. Let Christ use you in your humility. Let Him pour through you into one another's lives. Our gifts are different, but we share the same reward. You guys understand that? We all, as a church especially, share the same reward in what we're doing. You might be looking at me and thinking, well, you know, Will, pastor, he, you know, doing all the stuff that he does. Let's be clear. This little church, We support Ruben Kagami in Kenya, Africa. Ruben started Fish FM, and I'll just lay it out to you. Don't mean to steal this church's glory. Right as they were coming to the end of starting Fish FM, they were in incredible need. Ruben contacted me, and we had just received a massive financial gift. That as a pastor, I was like, oh boy, we're going to do some stuff. And I said, Reuben, what is your need? And he said, X number of dollars, which was exactly what we had. And I said, wow. And I talked to the board and we took the whole amount that had been given to this church and we gave it to Ruba Gagami and Fish FM. Follow this. They turned that radio station on and today it is the number 1 station in Kenya Africa and I do and it pre- just preaches the gospel that's all it does it just preaches the gospel it is not listen it's not the number 1 christian station in in Kenya Africa it's the number 1 station overall in Kenya Africa this church did that. There are much bigger churches in this community. There are much bigger churches in this state. There are even much bigger churches, obviously, in this country and in this world. And this little church made sure that flipped the switch. And listen, Ruben's reaching out to thousands of churches saying, If you can help in any way, if you can give a little bit, we'll put it all together and we'll turn the radio station on. And this little church said, yeah, we can help. How about with the whole thing? Understand this. There are demonic hosts. And when you just step in and punch a hole right in the middle of their environment, they're not going to sit back and go, no big deal. They're going to go, which church did that? And they're going to set their bullseye right on that church. Because, oh, they did it once. That church is crazy enough to do it again. That church reaches out like that. We would do everything we can to attack and destroy that church. We've experienced a lot of it. That's one example. In Kenya, we also support Josh Lawrence. That's Calvary Chapel, El Duret. You think... That the devil hates Fish FM. Rebels from the community, while Josh and his wife were asleep in bed with their children in the house, came with gas grenades, threw them into the house, knocked everybody else in the house out. Josh and his wife, while they were asleep in bed, their infant children, came in the house. Imagine this, husbands, while your wife and you are gassed unconscious in bed, stole all of their belongings and left a murderous note saying, get out of Kenya. They fortified themselves and stayed right there. And Benjamin Lippert came and spoke to us about how he was going over there. And he's in Eldoret and we support him in Kenya, Africa. Kaylee Dean. In Portugal, Allison Chamberlain in China, Bill James in Uganda, and his training center in New Mexico. This little church, this is what we're doing together. Follow it further. Calvary Residential Discipleship, both Seven Oaks and Blessed Hope. I go up there and teach every week. I'm broadcast all over the world on Facebook Every Wednesday as I teach both resting arms ministry and the Arise Ministry in Machias at the same time. I'm in Detroit getting off an airplane and this guy says, Are you Will Cass? Thinking, who's asking? You know. He said, I watch you every Wednesday. And I'm thinking, You do? <laughs> yeah, on Facebook. You you teach up there at Calvary Residential Discipleship. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, you know, a friend of mine went to the program, came back, told there's a group of us from our church that watch it every Wednesday. I've experienced this over and over. People addicted to heroin all over the world, you guys, are watching that. They're all over the world. I've got like 45 friends on Facebook that are all from the continent of Africa who watch and learn, record, and then watch it later. You start reaching into territories that belong to the enemy, right? These people addicted to heroin, these people in the darkness of no gospel in Kenya, Africa, you start reaching in, your enemy's going to reach right back for you. The attack's going to come so is the reward. When you show up here and put your check in the box, when you show up here and sweep and clean, when you show up here with a smile on your face and greet the next person and share a message with them and call them during the week, you're all part of that same reward. You're all part of that same reward. We're all ministering together. This is not my ministry. This is our ministry. You're making this possible. We need to band together and let the Lord continue this work. I'm not done with that list. Hancock Gowdy Jail Ministry. We go in every Wednesday. Teach to the women, teach to the men. Lori's amazed. Women are starting to come up to her and the girls, Cheryl, Abby, Becky, Christian, everywhere in public and say, Do you remember me? They were incarcerated for a long time or a brief time, and the girls ministered to that. Again, territory that belongs to our enemy, and we're taking it away from him. He's not going to take that lightly. Homeschooling. Think about how many children, right? I mean, we had the school, and now all of the homeschoolers that we support and the things that we've plugged them into, helping people to not be ensnared by the false teachings of the world. There's a great ministry this church is doing by that. Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Thursday services. This, I'm building you up. This is what we do together. This is our effort in this community. This is what we're doing. Children's church, youth group, the apologetics study. During the summer months, Hadley Point campground. We're down there each Sunday doing ministries there. The short-term mission trips that we've taken all over the world, and we're preparing to do one to Israel. I'm headed to Israel to do the precursor work on that in February, and then I'll come back and we'll set things in order to take a small group of people and do ministry work and tour Israel together. This is our work, you guys, and the list is much longer than that, isn't it? You're probably sitting there thinking, oh, he forgot this, and he forgot that, and he forgot... Right. This little church is gifted by the Lord to do a great work, and your enemy would like to convince you you're doing nothing. You're just sitting in the background, meaningless as could be. That is false. That is false. The Lord wants us working together, that we could all experience the reward. Be prepared for the attack that comes also. Stay on your face. Stay in prayer. Let the Lord protect you, right? You're thinking, he's kind of shifted. This was like some happy gift message about Christmas, and now we're over about attack and what's going on. Some of the gifts seem inappropriate until you realize their value, right? Let the Lord minister to you about your ministry. What is your ministry? If you're sitting there right now and you're like, I don't know. I'm telling you, Peter told us, you have one. You have a ministry. Let the Lord show you what it is. And I said this week, and I'll close with this. There are people within their church, this church, Their only area of ministry is prayer. They pray. They talk to people. I won't embarrass them, but there are certain people that say, what's going on in your life? What can I pray for you about? If they ask you that, tell them. Because I know some of these prayer warriors. And they're going to be on their face for you every single day. If you're thinking, you know, the way I help out is such... A small thing it's not it's not well what did jesus say you know if you give a cup of water you know in the prophet's name to a child you share in the reward of the prophet to whatever degree you serve the lord you're being rewarded you're being rewarded the same as everyone else let the gift of god work in your heart your mind and your life amen, amen. let's stand and we'll pray Father we are so grateful for your great love And as we come to this Christmas season I pray that we would be very attentive To the gift you've given us That we would turn our hearts to you and say, show us what that gift is. And when we've come to the realization, Lord, that we would turn to you and ask that you would help us to refine and use that gift. That your kingdom would be built up and that your work would be done and that you would be glorified in the process. Father, I pray that you would use us as your children, your servants, your ministers. Watch over us. Bless us. Keep us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.